Good morning. Just so you guys know, that is our new soundtrack for every bumper video we ever make. I just love it, man. Hey, uh, before we dive into the message, one quick thing that I want to share with you, and you probably noticed out front that we had this whole display set up, and so this will help make sense of that. But we have a conviction here at Crosspoint that suffering people are worth fighting for. And we hold to that conviction because Jesus held to it, and he taught us as his followers to do the same. And so next month, in the month of April, we're going to put that conviction into practice through something we call BLESS. BLESS is all about us pursuing people outside our walls who desperately need the hope and help of Jesus Christ and blessing them in response to how much God has blessed us, his people. And the end goal is really simple. We want to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ with people who need to experience it in hopes of helping them to know and follow him. And so there are a couple ways we want you to be a part of this, all right? Uh, number one is by serving. So on the weekend of Friday, April the 20th through Sunday, April 22nd, and this is different from what we've done in the past. Typically on Bless Weekend, we've only had Saturday projects. This year we have projects all weekend long for you to take part in. But we're gonna host what we call Bless Weekend. And this year we're gonna work in both the Alatoona community and also up in Adairsville, okay? Uh, we have 13 home improvement projects that we're performing, which is pretty exciting that we've got 13 families who have reached out to us for help. And so we're gonna help them. Uh, we're gonna do neighborhood cleanup. We'll give out clothes, food, household items through Bless General and the street store. We're gonna offer free medical exams, dental exams. The mobile library is gonna be there. So just a ton of stuff that we're gonna uh, engage in to serve these communities right here in our backyard. So as you can imagine, it takes a ton of people to pull this off. And so we're asking all of you to be a part of this, all right? Uh, you can see all the serving opportunities online. You can also see them on our app, or better yet, you can just go out to the table today before you leave in front of the building and see all the various ways that you can serve and engage in this weekend with us. And you can actually start signing up for serving opportunities today. So go out there before you leave and check it out, all right? That's first. The second way we want you to be a part of Bless is by giving. And this is really unique. We have never done this before, so this is brand new. But uh, 100%, don't miss this, please, 100% of the offerings that come in in the month of April, we are sending right back out the door. And so over the five Sundays in April, everything we give together, it's allocated toward ministry that's happening outside our walls, both in our community and in our world. We have set a giving goal for April of $215,000, which is a pretty aggressive goal, but I believe that we can hit that goal together, all right? We're allocating the money into four big categories. The first is church planting, uh, a portion of the money is gonna go toward our second location that we're launching up in Adairsville starting later this year. Uh, we're also putting part of the money toward Bless Weekend Projects, the ones I just described. We're also putting part of it toward Hope for Christmas. So instead of doing one location this year, we're actually gonna expand our efforts and do two locations. We'll have a location in Adairsville this year as well. And then a portion of the money will go toward world engagement efforts, toward work that we're doing to reach unreached people groups in places like Burkina Faso and, uh, and Bolivia, all right? And so if you already give to Crosspoint, let me just say thank you so much again for your generosity. And I want you to know that whatever you give in the month of April is going toward ministry happening out there, all right, to serve and reach people who aren't with us yet. But I, I would also say if you're not giving just yet, like Crosspoint is your church, but you have not started contributing financially to the mission of Crosspoint 
uh, now is a great time to start doing that, all right? We don't ever wanna guilt anybody into giving. That's not our ploy or our aim. But I do want you to see that in the coming weeks, you can make a massive, massive impact along with many of the other people in this room by simply giving to the mission of Crosspoint. And so I want you to be in prayer right now about what God might have you to give, all right? Last thing, and you can see this on the screen, be sure to download the Give app to your mobile device if you haven't already done that in preparation for BLESS because this is the way that we're gonna give toward all these efforts. If you don't give online, uh, go ahead and still download the app. If you give by cash or check, make sure that you set up the Roundup feature at the very least. That is a great way to start giving if you're not already giving. Uh, but also all the Roundup money we're gonna put toward these same efforts toward ministry happening outside the walls, okay? Well, if you have any questions about any of that, again, see our team before you leave today outside and they would be happy to help. All right, well, let's grab our Bibles if we have them. Uh, Today, we are in week three of a four-part series called Sent. And if you have missed the past couple of weeks, I'd really encourage you to go back and to watch those messages This is one of those series that builds on itself, and so you need to see those if you haven't seen those just yet. But again, today it's part three, and we're going to be in John chapter 17 together. John chapter 17. When we kicked off this series two weeks ago, we started by talking about two competing views of the church. And one of the views we talked about is this, what we call the sending view. This is the view we hold to here at Crosspoint. It's the one that we work really hard to perpetuate This is when people view the church not as a seller of religious goods and services, but as the very bride of Christ on mission in the world for the glory of God and the good of others. Uh, In this view, people don't see themselves as customers or consumers, but as missionaries, missionaries sent by God into the world to light up dark places with the gospel. Now, people who buy into the second view, which is what we call the selling view, they see things much differently. Uh, This is when people view the church much like a religious shopping mall. And so they treat the church a lot like their favorite store or restaurant as an organization or institution that exists to serve them, meet all their needs, and keep them happy. Now, I shared a couple of weeks ago that I believe our consumeristic culture has a lot to do with this. You know, it's no secret that consumerism drives much of society today. It's also crept into various churches in various ways. But I also believe there's another social ideology at play here known as individualism. Uh, If you've lived in America for any length of time, right, you know about this. Uh, Individualism is the idea that society works best when we as individuals are free to pursue our own self-interests and desires. And so individualism would say that the self-fulfillment of an individual deserves higher priority than the well-being of the group, family, or community they belong to. And I'll give you some practical examples of how this plays out, all right? Uh, These should probably sound familiar to you. Our culture constantly feeds us this first message, hey, do whatever you think will make you happy. If you're not happy and you think you know what will make you happy, do that thing. And don't worry about other people being offended or affected or hurt by what you want to do in any way. If it makes you happy, just do it. They can get over it. The second message we constantly hear from our culture is this. No one has the right to tell you how to live. You've heard that one, right? You are your own person. You have every right to live your life however you want to live your life. And so don't worry about what other people think or feel. You worry about how you feel. And if you feel a certain way, 
act on those feelings, follow your heart, and live how you want to live. And then the final message our, our culture feeds us that feeds this idea is this. When things get too hard, get out. When things get too hard, get out. If you're stuck in a relationship that is not making you happy, that is not fulfilling you, just leave. Is it your marriage? Find a new spouse. Is it your group of friends? Well, just find some new friends. Is it that group or team you belong to? Bail on them. They can figure it out on their own. Again, what matters here is your personal happiness. And since that takes priority over everything else, you should just do whatever you want to do. Now, would you look at this for just a moment with me? I need you to know today, and this is so important for you to understand, that this ideology completely contradicts God's desire and God's design for us as his people. You see, God did not save us by giving up the life of his very own son so that we could walk through life as individuals pursuing our happiness at the expense of holiness. He didn't save us so that we could follow our feelings instead of following his word. He didn't save us so that we could quit on uh, relationships and on people that we should be committed to, right? No, instead, God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, into a family, a, a body, a community called the church, And he commands us in his word to lay down all of our self-interests and desires for the sake of that family. And listen, to remain committed to one another even when things get hard. And so why is it so imperative that we do that? Why does it matter so much that you and I as Christ followers commit our lives to one another? Well, I could offer a variety of biblical answers to that question but I'm only gonna offer one today as it relates to this series, and the answer is this. We, we commit our lives to each other because according to Jesus, and we'll see this in the passage in a moment, our relational commitment determines missional advancement. Our relational commitment determines missional advancement. And here's what I mean by that, all right? The, the mission of God, the missio day that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks this mission of God to save his people that culminated in the incarnation of Jesus Christ that continues through us as his people today, that mission cannot be accomplished by self-seeking individuals who live their lives in isolation. It can only be accomplished by selfless Christ followers who share their lives with one another in authentic ways and who love each other as Jesus first loved them. Now, if that's vague to you or this is something that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense yet, just stay with me. We're gonna spend our time together this morning really unpacking this truth. And to do that, I wanna teach through a portion of a prayer Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. This prayer is commonly known as the high priestly prayer. And we're gonna focus in on the portion where Jesus prays specifically for this, the relational commitment of his followers so that his mission might be advanced. So if your Bibles are open, let's dive in. John chapter 17, we will pick it up in verse 20. Here's what it says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as you and I, or even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Now, 
I don't know how familiar you are with this prayer. Like if you're one of those people who've grown up in church and you've heard a message preached on this before, uh, I don't know if you've never heard this, but if you caught this as we just read it, but here's what's fascinating. We see in these verses that the night before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying for us. Those of us in the room who know him today. He says, God, I'm, I'm not asking only for those disciples who are with me presently, but I'm also praying for all those people who will believe in me, future tense, that's you and me, through their word, referring to the word of the disciples, right? This is amazing to consider, but as the disciples 2,000 years ago were launched out into the world to fulfill the Great Commission, and they went out announcing this message of a risen Savior, their word about Jesus was passed from person to person, from generation to generation, And the only reason you and I are here today in this room together worshiping Jesus is because someone passed their word along to us. It's incredible to think that Christianity has always been one generation away from extinction, yet it has never gone extinct. Why? Because people have just kept passing down the word of the disciples. And for those of us in the room today who have believed their word again, Jesus, the night before he laid his life down for us, He was praying for us. And what did he pray for? He prayed for our relational commitment. That despite our differences, differences in race, in age, in gender, in socioeconomic status, family background, personality, uh, politics. You guys do know that there are different political standpoints represented in this room, right? Just wanted to make sure that you knew that. But Jesus is praying that despite all those differences that we would be one, that we wouldn't be those people who fight about stupid stuff that doesn't matter, that we wouldn't be people always showing up with our own agendas, that we wouldn't be people putting our own needs and preferences before the needs and preferences of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And my friends, unfortunately, way too many churches end up there. Like I've been around churches like this where they do nothing for the kingdom of God, nothing for the mission of God, because everyone in the church is so busy thinking about themselves. I pray that never becomes true here at Cross Point. And if it ever does become true, we might as well shut the doors and I'll go home and do something else, because at that point, we have ceased to be the church. Jesus is praying against that, and he's praying that you and I would be united in mindset, in love, in purpose, and in devotion. Now, with that said, it's really important for you to know that this type of unity Jesus prays for in John 17, you and I cannot pull it off by just working hard to get along, right? Jesus didn't pray and go, hey, God, just just help them to be nice to each other. You see, this unity can't be forced by us. It, It can't be manipulated by us. I, as your pastor, can't stand on this platform or and inspire you or motivate you enough to walk in that kind of unity, The only way that this unity takes root amongst a people like us is when a people like us walk in unity with the Father and the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit, right? This is what Jesus was getting at when he prayed and said, okay, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I'm asking that they would be in us. What is he saying here? Um, Father, the same unity that exists between you and me and the Spirit I'm asking that these people you've given me, these people I'm about to lay my life down for, that they would live in the unity that exists between the three of us, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen, I, I wanna try to put this in perspective. We use it in an illustration so you really get it. 
Have you guys ever seen the marriage triangle? You seen that? For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just visualize a triangle, just, you know, basic shape, okay? You guys know what a triangle is, yes, 10 o'clock? Okay, just, just think about a triangle. Here's the idea that God is at the top of the triangle at the pointy end, and the husband and wife are at the bottom of the triangle on either side, and as they grow closer to God, they move up their respective sides of the triangle, and God supernaturally brings them closer and closer together, uniting them as husband and wife. Listen to me, that's some good marriage advice right there, isn't it? My marriage is broken, James, I need marriage help. What should we do? Put away your books with the 17 things you can do to improve your marriage and put Jesus at the center and pursue him, right? The practical stuff is good, but if you don't get your Jesus thing right first, the practical stuff doesn't matter. It starts and ends with him. But listen to me, that's not just good advice when it comes to marriage, it's good advice when it comes to the church, You see, you and I as the people of God cannot walk in unity with one another unless we first walk in unity with him. You see, if we're not striving each day to live in unity with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, then this relational divide will exist between us as people. But if we take seriously each day striving to walk with God, to obey Jesus, to keep in step with the Spirit that lives inside of us, then God supernaturally begins to produce unity between us. And so why in the world was this so important to Jesus? I mean, think about it. He could have prayed for a lot of things the night before his death, right? He could have asked God to do many, many things for you and I today, but he asked for one thing, that we would be unified. Why? Well, again, it goes back to that big point that I made earlier, because Jesus knew the night before his death that our relational commitment would determine missional advancement. And I wanna show you how this is true from the text, all right? Check it out. Why did Jesus pray for our relational commitment? First, so that the world would know God sent his son. It's right there in the verses we just read, so you can go back and check it out for yourself. But he did this so that the world would know that God sent his son. So according to what Jesus prayed, when we commit our lives to one another, and we walk in unity as the body of of Jesus Christ, our unity somehow makes the gospel, this message that God sent his son as a missionary to save his people, it makes that message more real and believable to an unbelieving world. And so the question is, how does that happen? I mean, how does our unity make that kind of gospel impact? Well, to answer that question, I thought I would show you a biblical example of what this type of John 17 unity looks like. And so if you still have your Bibles open, you can flip over just uh, a few pages with me to Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter two, we find this beautiful description of what was taking place in the early church. And here's what it says, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what do we see here? We see a church that were completely devoted to one another and to God. Right? They were listening to and living out the apostles' teachings. 
They were walking in fellowship with one another, uh, sharing meals with each other, praying together, attending the temple each day together, worshiping Jesus together. I mean, this text even tells us that when a church member had needs, that other people in the church would just start selling off their stuff to meet their needs. Can you imagine that? These believers were so devoted, so unified, so committed that you actually had people looking at their stuff going, I just have way too much. I have way too much house, way too much land. I have way too many toys. There's all this stuff that I don't need. And and I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And so I'm just gonna get rid of some of this stuff I don't need because they don't need to be living in need. And if I can meet their needs by getting rid of my stuff, I will get rid of my stuff. Can you imagine what might happen in our community if you and I, as Crosspoint City Church, were that devoted to each other? You think some eyebrows out there might start to race as people considered us? You think people outside our walls might look at us and go, what is going on with those crazy, weird Crosspoint folks? Like, how do they live like that? How do they love each other like that? I absolutely think that w- that's what would happen. Here's why. Because people don't naturally live or love that way, especially people who are so completely different from each other. I mean, can you do me a favor right now and just look around this room? Like, really, just do, don't look at me. Look at other people around and make it as awkward as you want to make it. Just, <laughs> just look. Can we all agree as you look around? This is an odd gathering of people, is it not? It's weird. People out there poked their head in here and they didn't know what we were doing today. Like all of us together in this room, it would make absolutely no sense to an outsider because there are a lot of differences represented in this room. Differences, again, in age, in race, socioeconomic status, uh, what we do for a living, right? The list goes on and on. And so in reality, it makes no sense for us to be here today other than the fact that we have a savior named Jesus who brings us together, amen? And here's what's amazing. When we walk in unity with one another because of the unity we share in him, our commitment and our devotion gives credibility to this message. It actually causes the outside world to stop and and consider maybe what those people say about Jesus is true. Because people like that who are so different from each other, they don't love each other in that way unless there's something bringing them together. And so again, my friends, I need you to know Jesus prayed for this because he knew that if we got this right, an unbelieving world would start to see and believe that the God of the universe sent his son to save his people. So that's first. But secondly, Jesus prayed for our commitment so that the world would know that God loves us just as he loves his son. Think about this. According to what Jesus prays, and we see this in verse 23. When we commit our lives to one another, our unity declares to the world that we are safe and secure in the very love of God. The same love, by the way, that he reserves for his own son, Jesus. And I wanna give you some perspective on this. So I want you to think about this with me, okay? I want you to think right now as we consider how our love pulls that off. How does does our love for one another declare this amazing love about his love Think right now about all the reasons we fail to love people at times. And make it really personal. Like, think about your reasons why you fail to love people at times. I was thinking this past week, and few thoughts came to my mind. I think at times we fail to love other people because we worry about love being reciprocated. Well, what if I love and they don't love me back? 
that's really going to stink, right? Um, I think at times we fail to love other people because we worry about being taken advantage of. But what if I put myself out there and love that person and I get burned? And some of you, you've had that experience. You've put yourself out there, you've loved another person very selflessly, and you were very wounded as a result. And so now what you do is you safeguard yourself against opening yourself up too much to other people, especially people that you don't know very well, right? But I also think, and let's be really honest, that at times we fail to love other people because deep down in our hearts, we feel like other people don't deserve to be loved. Well, they haven't done anything to earn my love. And, and in some cases, no, that other person has done some things to unearn my love, if you will, right? But listen to me, here's the reality. When you know that you are loved by the God of the universe in the same way he loves his only son, all those excuses go out the window. Like you don't worry any longer about love being reciprocated. You don't worry about being taken advantage of. You don't waste your time trying to figure out whether or not another person deserves to be loved. You just start loving other people in response to the love you've already received from him. And why do you do this? Because it's simple. When you know how much God loves you, you don't need anybody else's love to feel safe, secure, or satisfied. Amen? And so you're able at that point to start loving other people, not for what you're going to get, but because of what you've already received. And my friends, when you and I as Christ followers love each other like that, freely, unconditionally, we go first. I'm not going to wait for other people to love me before I love them. I'm just going to give it all I've got. Number one, all of a sudden, people start realizing we belong to Jesus. This is what he teaches in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my my disciples by your love for who? For one another. I know at times we talk a lot about loving people out there, and we should. But can I just remind us today, if we're not loving each other in here like we should, loving other people out there doesn't really matter much. We have to get the house in order so that we can actually accomplish what God has called us to accomplish out in the world. But when we love each other in that way as well, here's what's amazing. All of a sudden, the world out there starts to see who God is and they get a human picture of what his love looks like. And I truly believe that is one of the greatest evangelist, uh, evangelistic appeals that we can make to the world. Let us, by our love for each other, show you how God wants to love you, amen? And so with all that said and knowing this to be true, that our relational commitment determines our missional advancement by accomplishing these things, the question now becomes, well, what does that commitment look like on a practical level? So in other words, what relational practices does God ask us to engage in together that his mission might be advanced? Well, to answer that question, I wanna show you a list of commands from the Bible known as the one another's. And I think this will give you perspective on what God asks us to do with and for one another as his people. Check it out. Uh, Positive commands first. Be devoted to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another in love. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Stir up one another in love. Confess your sins to one another. Ooh, that sounds scary, doesn't it? So you're telling me God wants me to let other people peek into the backstage of my life and see what is happening there that nobody else knows about? Yes, 
And can I just tell you today, uh, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of healing found in confession. Like the longer you remain in hiding due to your sin, the more the enemy will use guilt and shame and condemnation against you. But the moment you speak up and say to another brother or sister in Christ, I've just gotta let you know what's going on in my life, what the enemy is attempting to do to me, to destroy me, all of a sudden you start confessing that. And, and one, you start finding out you're not alone. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, me too. Yeah, I've dealt with that before. But then secondly, the Holy Spirit's able to go to work in your life and to bring about healing and freedom that you desperately need. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Love one another. I'll show you some negative commands. Don't judge one another. Don't bite and devour one another. You guys know that sheep like to bite? Bible calls us sheep, right? Sheep like to bite. Sometimes they like to bite each other. And God goes, don't do that. Uh, Don't destroy one another. Don't provoke one another. Envy one another. Lie to one another. Don't slander one another. So all of those in the room who like to talk smack and talk junk, stop doing that, God says. Don't grumble against one another. All you people who like to complain, ask the Holy Spirit to change that about you. These are the things that God asks us to do with and for one another as his people. Now, I have to be honest. As I compiled that list this past week, two big truths immediately came to mind. And the first truth was this, that discipleship demands relationship. That discipleship demands relationship. So in other words, you and I cannot follow Jesus unless we follow him together. I know that there are people out there who love to say things like this. Uh, Well, man, I've got Jesus. I don't need the church. I can have church in the woods, at the lake, in my living room, on my recliner. False. No, you can't. You need the church. You need the people of God. Every person in this room, including the guy standing on this stage, look, we need each other. And that list we just read proves it. You and I cannot follow the simplest commands of Scripture unless we share our lives with one another. Discipleship demands relationship. But look, the same is true in regards to our mission. You and I cannot accomplish the mission God has given us unless we accomplish it together. Think about this with me. For all eternity, the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have existed in perfect unity and community. In Genesis chapter 21, we find that God, when he created mankind, he created us in his image. And he did that for the purpose of you and I, you and I bearing his image in the world, serving as his representatives on the earth, all for his glory and the good of people. And so again, think about this with me. If God is a God of unity and community, and you and I have been created in his image to represent him rightly, you and I, to represent him rightly, have to live in what? Unity and community. It's impossible for you to represent God rightly on your own. I mean, that'd be like a football player believing that he can play quarterback, running back, and wide receiver all at the same time and still win the game, right? It's impossible. It does not work that way. Nor does it work when you launch yourself out into the world by yourself, believing that you can accomplish the mission of God in isolation. You can't. If we want to accomplish the mission, look, we have to accomplish it together. Discipleship demands relationship. The second truth that this list brought to mind, and this is a really deep truth, by the way, uh, don't miss this, relationships are hard. 
<laughs> it's just really stinking hard. Can I get an amen, somebody? Yes. They're just hard. I mean, think about how hard some of this stuff is that we just read. Put yourself at the bottom of the list all the time. Like everybody else always needs to come before you. Be patient with other people. Help to bear their burdens. Um, Be an encourager. Practice kindness even when you don't want to. Uh, Don't complain against other people, right? Turn off Facebook if you need to to get that right. Stop grumbling and slandering. Always tell the truth. Confess those hidden things in your life. Forgive people who you need to forgive. And if you've wronged somebody else, ask those people to forgive you, right? The list goes on. That's some hard stuff. And I would bet that some of us in the room have avoided going too deep in certain relationships and even bailed on certain relationships because doing a lot of those things seemed way too hard. And I would just remind us today that as Christ followers, uh, contrary to what culture promotes, right? Hey, if things get too hard, get out. It's all about your happiness. Contrary to that, you and I as Christ followers, we cannot allow relational difficulties to become our excuse for avoiding or breaking off relationships. Culture says one thing, Jesus says another. They disagree. And the decision you have to make is, who am I gonna side with? Am I gonna side with him or am I gonna side with them? See, I don't know if you've ever found this in your Bible. I haven't yet, so if you found it, you can like show me where it is later. But I don't ever find Jesus saying anywhere, hey, life's all about you and your happiness. Just do what you want. No, instead, what I find Jesus saying is life is all about me and it is all about other people. And so forget about yourself. Lay down your rights Give up your desires. Just follow me as I pursue others. I don't ever find Jesus saying, hey, when relationships get too difficult, just get out. No, instead, Jesus is the one saying, hey, if uh, if you belong to me, even when relationships get hard, you stay. Even when relationships seem impossible, you stay committed. You keep showing up. You stay engaged. Why? so that the mission of God can be advanced in a very desperate, very broken world who needs the hope of Jesus Christ that we found in him. So I'll just close with this um, story. I don't know if I was gonna share today or not. Um, Some of you guys know this about me, but I grew up in church and I, I grew up in a church that in many ways left me feeling beat up and condemned and discouraged, uh, oftentimes I felt like I couldn't measure up. Could never be good enough for God. And so at about 19 years old, I found myself hating the church, despising her. Thought to myself, if this is what it means to belong to the family of God, I am out. Then I heard this song, it's weird. It didn't happen when I was reading the Bible, didn't happen as I was praying. Uh, Nobody else spoke this into my life. I I was listening to a song and the writer of this song, I don't even remember all the lyrics, but I remember the chorus. And and he wrote this song in a way that made it seem like Jesus was kind of singing this over his people. I know it's kind of hokey in some ways, but it was powerful for me. Uh, But in the chorus, he said this, you cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you'll love the church. 
And I found that song ministering to me in a way that nothing else had up until that point. And God used that song to grip me and to remind me that in spite of all the church's dysfunctions and in spite of all the things that um, made her weird and strange and all the things I was so frustrated with, that I still needed her. And in some ways, she needed me. And I praise God today that he didn't let me go. And I think that some of us in the room today might be those people that feel like we're on the edge like I was. And I want you to know that God loves you and he doesn't wanna let you go. What he wants to do is to birth in you this deep love and passion for his people, the church. But you have to be willing to take some steps forward into that. And so as we close right now, I wanna ask you a real simple question. And here it is. Who are your one another's? Like who are those people in the church, those followers of Jesus that you've committed your life to? And who are those people that have committed their life to you? If you don't have an answer to that question because maybe you're standoffish when it comes to the church or you just haven't been intentional about taking those steps, listen, I want to encourage you to immediately find those people, like today. Join a group here at Crosspoint. Join one of our serve teams. Not so that you're just busy doing more, but so that you can surround yourself with people that that you can commit your life to and love in the ways that Jesus has prayed for. Again, if you need help with that, we want to help you. But do whatever it takes to get yourself surrounded by people who are trying to follow Jesus like you desperately want to follow him. Um, I know that seems overwhelming and scary to some of us. And so as we close, we're just going to pray. And we're going to ask God for courage, some of us, to take these steps that we desperately need to take. So will you join me in that? Let's pray together. Father, first and foremost, God, I just want to pray that you would give each and every single one of us a greater love for your bride. That in spite of her failures and her shortcomings, that we would not be people who grumble against her, complain against her, condemn her, criticize her. But that we would be a people who love your your church and your bride so much that we would devote our lives in any way we can to making her more beautiful to the world that desperately needs to see her beauty. And God, I pray that that would start in this room and the relationships that exist here. God, that you would unite us, the people of Crosspoint, in ways that, that, again, we can't force, we can't pull off on our own. And so, God, by your spirit, would you do a supernatural work, uh, work amongst the people that, that make up this family, that we would be devoted to one another in the way that Jesus prayed we would. And God, I, I wanna pray specifically for those in the room right now as well who uh, are guarded, um, avoid going deep in relationships due to fears or wounds or worries, whatever it may be. God, would you just do a work in them that that would restore them, heal them, get them to a place where they can take the steps they need to take to engage in this type of relational commitment with your people. So God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for this family. And I pray that you would continue to use us for your glory and the good of the world around us, God. And we trust you for it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.